Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, join us for what may be John Travolta's career low point. Thanks a lot, Fred Durst. and box office flops presented by revenge of the fans.com it is travolta month and after chumpzilla and i rode high with from paris with love we have been brought back down to earth the fanatic isn't just a bad movie it's a pretty problematic one uh, before we get into all that uh, along with me is chumpzilla introduce yourself howdy folks how we doing tonight uh if you're enjoying the show Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Simple stars are great. A uh, written review would be a little bit better. Uh, beyond reviews, if you want to interact with us on social, recommend future movies or what have you, you can find the show on Twitter and Facebook at Hops and Bo Flops, and you can find myself at Writer TLK. And tonight, for this movie, we needed a strong beer, so we are drinking Fear Movie Lines Double IPA from Stone Brewery. And I'll just go ahead and uh, say it right now. You're going to want to drink all six of them. That's how awful this movie is. Yes, this is in fact a six-beer movie. Like, this, I mean, you could break the rules and go seven for all I care. <laughs> That's what I thought well, about this movie. Well, I mean, I'm not going to suggest that people drink irresponsibly, but this movie... Might drive you to make some poor decisions. Yeah. So let's get into it. Uh, this movie, was, it's fairly new. It was released into just 52 theaters on August 30th of this year. Of those 52 theaters, it grossed just $3,153. That's an average of $60 per theater. According to The Hollywood Reporter, it grossed $10 or less in a number of theaters. I'm not quite sure how that's even possible because as far as I know, movie tickets are over $10 almost everywhere. Yeah, but that's, it's still not good regardless. Yeah. That's like one ticket, right? Yeah. That's like one ticket in some theaters. Ouch. So Ouch. since it was VOD small scale, right? Uh, a couple other Travolta movies with similar release strategies in the valley of violence which was the one good one when we read that list of his movies in the past nine years uh the one with ethan hawk it's a western that took in twenty nine thousand dollars from 33 theaters on its first weekend topped out at fifty three thousand opening day gross of ten thousand so pretty much crushed what this movie did and the killing season which was a just a horrific movie with him and robert de niro uh, had a three-day launch of twenty-seven thousand from twelve theaters, and finished with fifty-three thousand. So, even in the realm of smaller-scale movies that were basically released into just a handful of theaters and then shot out to video on demand, this did awful. It's the worst opening he's ever had, and I think there's reasons for that, which we will get into. 
Uh, this is 17% on Rotten Tomatoes with 58 reviews, 32% user score, 17 on Metascore. And yeah, and as I said, it's not good. You don't have to take that just from me or Chumpzilla. Here's a quote from Dennis Harvey, who wrote the review for Variety, which was a zero on the Metacritic scale. Bad in ways that sometimes provoke a disbelieving guffaw, but more often stir pained embarrassment. Slightly harsh, but I don't disagree. You know, one of the things that surprised me about Travolta Month is that I saw that Travolta has three movies that have been uh, ranked at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I am shocked that this is not one of them. Yeah. This is that bad. I mean, Battlefield Earth is bad. To me, this was just as bad. I mean, in different ways, but just as bad. I think his... I don't know. We'll get into it. It's not... It, and but, it's not his fault. I, I, I would argue, I would argue that he's not the worst part of this movie. He was not the worst part of Battlefield Earth. But just for the record, so his zero percent movies on Rotten Tomatoes are um, Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, uh, Battlefield Earth, and Gotti. And I think this movie should probably be probably be there too. He should have four, which is. That's tough for John, Mr. Tavolter. I'm sorry. It really is. And it just goes back to that list I presented the last episode. It's like this guy is badly in need of a hit. Like, badly. He needs another Pulp Fiction. Yeah. But I will say this. This is, this is really upsetting to see because Charlie Wax does not deserve this. No. And uh, I don't think that he'll get another Pulp Fiction you know, he's older now. He's got to be close to 70. I just think, you know, his star has waned to the point of no return, which sucks. But, you know, people get to that point, and I really just don't see him coming back, especially when you consider, right, that he was filming this at the same time as the other classic movie of his, Trading Paint, the car racing movie. So it's like, I don't Not know. Not the boat racing movie, the car racing yeah. movie. The boat racing okay. movie is wait, what was that one called? Like who Speed, the hell knows? Speed Kills. Speed Kills. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll take a quick aside here, yeah. uh, Mr. Wizard. Or uh, what's our understanding of uh, Travolta's motivations here? Does he need the money? Is that what he's doing? Is is this a money thing? Is he in Nick Cage territory where he's just trying to cash checks? See, that's what I was going to ask. This, yeah, because is this all he can get? It might be a combination of the two. Uh, I think it might be all he can get. Maybe he's become a, a pariah in Hollywood, but I mean, anybody that that Hollywood doesn't think is bankable anymore, you get thrown out like like yesterday's trash. So he's on the fringes. He's on the fringes. Is this the Scientology sabotage? What are we looking at here? I mean, I don't want to get too conspiracy theory, but w- what's going on? Well, you could say that, but you know, Tom Cruise is. I think still you would say top two or three most bankable movie stars, which really isn't a thing so much anymore as it used to be where you could just get a really famous guy, put them on the poster and people would go see the movie. Like, I guess the rock is probably the closest thing to that now, but even then, like, well, he's got movies that don't open that well. True. But I guess my point is, 
did Tom ever try to leave the church? You know, I, I don't know if we'll ever really know. Wait, but you mentioned on the previous pod that Travolta did and was blackmailed. So is this part of that? I mean, I'm, I mean, again, I'm being a conspiracy theorist here. I'm just saying, is that, is that the difference between Tom Cruise and John Travolta? Cruise played ball. Travolta didn't at first and did, but it was too late. I don't know. Anyway, I, moving on. Moving I just on. don't think I'd be willing to assign that much leverage to the Church of Scientology. No, fair enough. Uh, so this movie's directed... And co-written by the chocolate starfish himself, Fred Durst. Apparently, now I couldn't confirm who this real-life fan was, but this he wrote the script based on a fan who had stalked him some years ago. Just to be out front with it, the largest issue with this film is the script. The script is not good. And I don't think Fred Durst was the person to be writing a script of this nature because Moose, John Travolta's character, uh, has autism. Uh, I couldn't find anywhere on the internet any evidence that Fred Durst has any understanding of people with special needs. And you can tell that by the way this movie is written because it is stereotype central. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like somebody watched Rain Man one time and was like, okay, I've got an idea. Yeah, it was like he literally went on YouTube and searched up like videos of of people behaving in certain patterns or with certain tendencies. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Now I know everything about this. It was the most like half-assed, I've done research on someone who has autism or is on the spectrum and now I've written this really rich character the character's not rich or deep at all and it's I don't blame Travolta really for any of it I mean he Travolta gives it his all in, in the part uh, the part just isn't well crafted and it's a troubling film for it anyways yeah I will say this I thought his hair piece was amazing yeah, the hairpiece is a sight to behold. Uh, it, 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 was, it looked bad because it was supposed to look bad, but it looked legit. I will say that. I, that, that was the most believable part about the movie, <clears throat> was this terrible haircut, because it looked good. Uh, so this was, obviously, starring John, Please, for the love of God, green light from Prague with love now, Travolta. And then the only please, other person please. you're going to recognize from the cast list is Devin the Little Giant Sawa. Yes, the little giants. Uh, Junior, the quarterback. Uh, And he's the movie star that Travolta is sort of pining to get the autograph from. Hunter Dunbar. The plot, as described by IMDb, a rabid film fan stalks his favorite action hero and destroys the star's life. Now, that is a gross exaggeration of what Moose does. Moose does not destroy the star's life. Uh, Hunter Darbar is a shameless piece of shit, and he destroys his own life. And that was, I thought, like, this movie had a chance to sort of turn itself around, and spoiler alert, we're going to ruin the movie, but the way it ends is so unforgivable and sort of sickening that you don't feel bad for him at all. And no, Moose doesn't ruin his life. He ruins his own life. That's the whole moral of the story, that this guy is so self-absorbed 
that he can't give this poor guy the time of day. Now there is like a, like a decent message hidden in this movie that if it were written better and handled better, maybe there was something interesting to say. I think there was about how you know you need to treat people like they're people. You can't just think people are beneath you because they're not as famous as you are, because they don't seem to be as smart as you are, etc. and so on. And that the movie star really doesn't understand that. Like if he just had any semblance of compassion at any point in the movie, he avoids yes. having his life ruined. But he doesn't. Like he treats this guy like a piece of shit. It's awful to watch and it just really made me mad more than anything. Yeah, I think this movie starts off like a psychological thriller type movie to a certain extent, and then it just turns into hostile at the end. And I think all of a sudden Eli Roth just takes over and it doesn't make a lick of sense. And frankly, spoiler alert, I don't think it's even reasonable to assume that he would be arrested for that the the lady's death in the backyard. Uh, you know, his his maid. Like, yeah. Um. Just because he he mutilated an intruder doesn't mean he killed the lady in the side yard. It's like I, I feel like that was a really big like jump to conclusions there that he would just be instantly arrested for that. When he'd be like, no, hey, there's been some psycho guy that tied me up and I had to chase him out of the house. And this blood all over is not my blood. It's not the housekeeper's blood. It's this crazy guy. And I think the crazy guy might have killed the housekeeper. Yeah. Like, I, I, he, uh, there's no way that, that, that he would have just been, like, arrested on the spot and his life would have ended for that. I mean, no. it would have easily been traced back to Moose. Uh, that was pretty nonsensical at the end. Like, oh, yeah. I get the uh, message they were trying to give us that, that basically uh, Hunter Dunbar was George Costanza and that bad things happen to people to do bad things. You know, why does bad stuff happen to George? George is a bad person. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Dunbar was a bad person in the movie, and bad things happened to him. But it, again, it didn't make a lick of sense. Yeah, the whole thing, uh, they do this like, there's these cartoons that they that are sort of interspersed throughout. And they're definitely like trying to play it up as Moose is going to lose his mind and, and kill this guy. But in the end, it's like, oh no, see, he's not actually crazy. It's like, yeah, but that's what you've been trying to make us believe and you've done it in such a sloppy sort of shoddy way. Yeah. You know, like then you're like, Oh good. I'm glad he's not a psycho, but maybe then just write the movie a little bit better. But to your point about Hunter Dunbar, there's zero chance he gets arrested because they'd be like, well, who's the intruder? Like, I don't know. Why don't you search the hospitals for a guy with no fingers? Cause I shot them all off. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to your point, there's a smarter movie buried in here somewhere. Um, Moose doesn't want to hurt him. He's not a monster. He, at some point he, he has a, an epiphany and he realizes that Hunter is an actor. He's just pretending. And there is a narrative through the movie that, you know, that Moose is also a performer. He's a street performer. And so he realizes that, Hey, we're equals. We both, we both pretend for a living. I'm going to show you the guy I'm a fan of that I can pretend as, as well as you do. And that's the whole point. He, he ties him up to scare him. He doesn't want to hurt him. He wants to scare him. He wants to prove that he can fool him the same way that, Moose had been fooled by his movie roles because he thought 
Hunter was a superhero, that he was this action hero guy. And he realized, no, he's just a dude. He's a dick. He's a dick. And he's fooled me. Well, I can fool him, too. So for a moment there, the movie almost seemed smart. But then it turns into hostile and it gets weird. Yeah, and it gets like it, really the end, It doesn't stick the ending. You know, it's like, ugh. No, especially because his fingers are sitting on this guy's living room floor. I mean, just take one of those. Yeah. Hey, here, here, here's the dude that killed the housekeeper. Yeah. Like, he's a weirdo. He's been stalking my yeah. house. By the way, his letter scared my kid. And there's witnesses. His it, DNA is all over my house because he was hiding in my closet. He took a nap on my couch. Uh, he gave me a kiss. Yeah, the whole movie's weird. Yeah, didn't he? He took a shit in his bathroom. <laughs> I thought that was a uh, uh, Pulp Fiction callback. Well, there is a Tarantino callback in this movie. Yeah, well, that would be the second one. Yeah, yeah. that would be the less obvious of the two. Uh, so, anyways, one sentence. How would you describe this movie? Okay, so I'm going to follow the format this time. John Travolta stars in what I can only assume is Zack Snyder's grim, dark take on of Mice and Men. Also starring Devin Stan Sawa as sadistic George to Travolta's Lenny. That's pretty good. Mine was just, if you thought Joker was cynical, well, just wait till you see what Fred Durst cooked up. He did it all for the nookie. Yeah. So I, uh, we, we basically covered the plot. So I do have some questions. And these, are, of course, are serious questions. Number one, how would you assess Travolta's performance in this? I would uh, give it uh, one quarter of a Forrest Gump. It was... I think... You know, he... I've seen many worse actors, or I've seen many worse performances of people trying to portray somebody who's on the spectrum or has a developmental disorder. I think given a more textured script, he would have been fine. But this movie, again, is very stereotypical. Um, it's offensive in a lot of ways. And that's its its biggest issue. But none of that falls on Travolta. Every all that falls on the writing, which you know fails itself. It, it kind of can't support the weight of the themes it's trying to portray. So I don't blame him. I, I think Travolta actually did a really convincing job of playing somebody uh, on the autism spectrum. I, I agree. I think the script was kind of weak, but I think he did a really good job with it. Um, let me ask you this, Mr. Wizard. Uh, you know, I was not a big fan of I Am Sam. I don't I, remember I, it well enough. That was Sean Penn. I, I, I don't think it was that bad. I don't think it was that bad. Like um, The Squid and the Whale is one that comes to mind where I thought, this movie is awful. Uh, not The Squid and the Whale, Mozart and the Whale. Where it was like, you guys have a very... Um, fringe understanding of what Asperger's is and the movie was unbearably bad because of it it was like every cliche about a person with Asperger's rolled into yeah. one movie that movie was I think like this was a worse movie than that but I think that movie's sort of take on what it was doing was worse than this was 
Okay, I'll, I'll say this. This movie was slightly better than There's Something About Mary, but not as good as Forrest Gump. Well, you know, the good the, the thing about the Fairley brothers is, I don't know what their ties to people with special needs are, but they always cast people with actual special needs in their movie, which I think is, a, one, it's an incredibly important thing for representation. I uh, did not know that. Yep. Okay, now I feel like an ass. So you're telling me the uh, where's my baseball guy? I don't know if, about Mary. I don't know if actually he does. Has special needs. I don't know okay. if the brother does, but other uh, people. Uh, okay, do. so I thought I thought that was really stereotypical, and I, I'll I'll, ref, I'll revise my statement. I think this movie is somewhere between that and Rain Man because I'm going to take Forrest Gump out of it. That's a bad comparison. I think this movie is more along the lines of Rain Man, but it's not. It, there's no. It's not as good as Dustin Hoffman. Sorry, Travolta, but it's not. It's not awful. I think the script's bad, but I think Travolta did a very sincere job of trying to play somebody that was differently able. What's what's what offended me most about the movie was the way he was treated throughout the film by other characters, including characters who were his friends, and yeah. and then of course the ending, which is like it's just so needlessly violent and and unforgiving and even yeah. though it's pretty brief it's like good lord this guy like you know this guy has no ill will toward you and yet you still torture him i think it's very telling that hunter dunbar lures moose into a sense of security by telling all these nice friendly things and then proceeds to violently attack him it's like, hold on, that's that's pretty sadistic, dude. Like, yeah. He clearly just wants to be your friend, and you take advantage of that. You exploit his childlike, uh, uh, naive uh, mental capacity, and then you maim him pretty much unnecessarily. Mr. Wizard, let me ask you this. I think this movie was trying to make us not like Moose, up until the end, and that was supposed to be like a twist. Yeah. That all of a sudden, uh-huh. Moose becomes sympathetic, and uh, we'd, we're not going to like Hunter Dunbar anymore. But the problem is, Moose is clearly of diminished capacity and not in full control of his actions throughout the entire movie. So we're sympathetic to him the whole time. And uh, Hunter Dunbar is a giant dick. The entire movie so it's really not that big of a reveal that he's an even bigger dick in the end because he's a dick the whole way through yeah i don't think i maybe i didn't articulate it particularly well just before but yeah that is it does it it, it spins it on its head right it, it leads you to believe he's going there to kill this person to kill hunter dunbar and yes hunter dunbar is not a great guy but you're like oh well he's got a kid we don't want him to die and Moose is getting progressively more violent, even toward people that are nice to him. So it's leading you to this place. And it's like, nope, just kidding. Like, he's all he really wants is to be this guy's friend. It's like, well, that's great, but why did you just not write a movie where we're, we empathize with Moose the entire movie because he is just a fan? Like, it wanted us to get to a point where we're like, oh, this is going to be bad. Yeah, I mean, even when he attacks his, his his friend, his lady friend, she antagonizes him. 
So it's it wasn't like he just like struck out at her out of the blue. She antagonized him and forced him into conflict, and you felt bad for him because he reacted poorly. He did. He didn't. He didn't like aggressively go after her. He he reacted poorly to her aggression. Yeah. So I, I get what they were trying to do, but they didn't signal it the right way. It, it, it wasn't coded. You know, when, it's yeah, this, I didn't, they, they tried to they tried to make that twist pay off, but they didn't set it up. Yeah, so it just fell flat. This movie has the subtlety of a hammer to the head. Yeah, it, there's no nuance to any of the points it's trying to make. More like an open fist to the nose with the head on the back of a bird. Bath. Yeah, so I guess the That's about the only thing. Yeah, see you later. What was her name? I don't know. The uh, but. The you cleaning know, lady Hunter that uh, Hunter Dunbar like has apparently uh, tried to make sexual advances toward multiple times, but it also indicates that at one point they're sleeping together. So I mean that's that's probably inappropriate. Yeah. Well, and, well, first, first, first off, the most unsettling scene in this movie is that she is upset because she had witnessed Moose trying to you know enter the grounds through the backyard, and she was very upset about it. So Hunter's uh, response to that is to try to creepily make out with her. He's yes. like, oh, I see you're upset and you're crying, so let's do it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this dude's a creep. I mean, right there, that, that told me that guy's a creep. He's right just an bat, awful character. He's so not likable that you, that you... I'm not upset that Moose wants to kill him. Through the entire movie, and at one point in time, I'm like, oh, poor Hunter Dunbar. Put it this way, if they, if they built the narrative in such a way where Moose got progressively more... He was, he was pushing more boundaries and more boundaries and more boundaries. And the guy was trying to be nice. Like, hey, listen, I appreciate that you're my fan, this, that, and the other. You would then create a scenario where you feel bad for him in the end as well because he was pushed to a point he didn't want to go, but he didn't quite understand that this guy was harmless. It doesn't do any of that. That's the, the issue with the movie. So... The one thing I blame Travolta for is in taking a role that stereotypes people in such a way like this. Uh, and also, had Travolta not taken the role, I don't think this movie gets made, and then we're all, all the better for it. Because without his star power, what's your selling point? Like, you have a script that's pretty average, you don't have a star. I don't think this gets made. Yeah. The reason I asked about his performance, and this is true, from my research, Travolta has been campaigning for a Best Actor nomination at the Oscars for this. He's been putting this out. I, I found it, and I'll, I'll link to the article. So he's provided quotes about the movie. One can, and I'll read them off. One can understand the draw of the fanatic for someone like Travolta. It calls for full immersion, mentally and physically, and he pulls it off. That's from the Wall Street Journal, apparently. Writer, though, uncredited. Mm-hmm. Genuine chills and some very black comedy. San Francisco Chronicle. Again, writer, uncredited. John Travolta nails it in this movie. His acting transcends the written word. That's from CBS. Again, there's no writer to claim credit for that. His acting transcends the written word. That is a fake quote if I've ever read it. Oh, yeah. John Travolta makes it impossible not to watch every move and action he makes. He is simply amazing in this film. That's from ABC and can you guess there's no writer credited for that quote. So do you believe yeah. any of those quotes are real? 
I wish the uh, the pod listeners could see the grimace on my face right yeah. now because that is all terrible. <sighs> Poor John Travolta. I mean, this is another notch in the we need from Prague with love uh, yeah. uh, column. This Come is, on, like this this is not your best work, John. I'm sorry. Bring it's it. not your fault. I, yeah, I think he. Did, I think he. I think he tried. I think he tried. I think, I think tried, it was yeah. just a, a bad script and a bad premise and. <clears throat> Yeah. Oof. I, I don't think he's cracking the best actor field, just to be honest. No, I, I, it's not going to happen for him. But let me check the wind here. Nope, that's not in the cards. He might get a Razzie nom. I don't think he should, but I bet you he does. Uh, my other serious question is, does this movie wrestle the shit movie championship belt away from Battlefield Earth? Since there's only two of us, if it's a draw, draw goes to the champion. You gotta, you have to take the belt away from the champion. Okay, that's only fair. No, I'll say this: uh, that there, it's a no. This does not wrestle away the belt because the budget's lower, and I don't think there were any significant uh, production deficiencies in this movie. It looked okay. I mean, obviously, it was a low-budget independent film, so and it wasn't a big effects movie. But from a technical standpoint, it was executed and edited relatively well, and that's something you can't say about Battlefield Earth. I agree. I would say that this was a independent movie, very small scale. Uh, there was a lot less to lose if this movie tanked. And it did. I think the the in uh, what was it? Two thousand Battlefield Earth came out. John Travolta was relatively close to the second peak of his powers era. There was a lot riding on that movie, and it was disastrous. Much bigger star in two thousand. Yes. So if you have to, if you weigh in multiple factors, one where he was at in his career, the money put into that film the uh, sort of the, the who was behind the camera and what that guy had been involved with and the amount of people working on a film like that and for how bad it was you have to say you have to go with Battlefield Earth yeah Th- that movie was literally a disaster it this is. movie was just a disappointment I would rather I mean I, I'm never going to watch either of them again <laughs> but uh you would, if this were like, you know, like when a movie's on TNT and you're like, oh, shit, Batman versus Superman's on. Now I'm going to watch this. You wouldn't even stop the clicker on Battlefield Earth. For this, you'd be like, oh, is that, this that one where he wears the really weird wig? I'll check this out for about five minutes. And that is where I will disagree with you, Mr. Wizard, because this movie was a better movie technically, but I would totally watch Battlefield Earth over this because Battlefield Earth is so so bad that it's entertaining. This movie's just bad. <laughs> I guess that's true. It, to your point, there's more budget and spectacle in Battlefield Earth, and that is just enough to capture my short short attention span. I guess what you could say is Battlefield Earth is the champion because if I wanted to show a friend who had never seen the worst of what John Travolta could do on screen. You're like, oh, dude, you got to watch Battlefield Earth. You got to see this scene where he's talking about leverage, or you got to see the scene where 
he's uh, where they literally put on loop the guy's line dissing John Travolta, saying that he'll be there for five life cycles or whatever it is which is basically the scene from the sandlot forever yes yeah forever so hey okay so hold on let's just be clear here there's a holy trinity of bad movies as far as i'm concerned you've got battlefield earth you've got the room and you've got uh plan nine from outer space what about troll 2 where does that rank you know what? I almost have to give Battlefield Earth a pass because you're probably right. Troll 2 might be worse than Nail Battlefield bomb. Earth. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that's been pointed out a million times, but it's called Troll 2 and the town is Goblin spelled backwards. I guess yeah. Nailbog had a better ring to it than Lort. And it had nothing to do with the first one. Yeah, okay, That that's that, that, you're right. That movie's generally considered to be one of the worst ones. So, I mean, Battlefield Earth kind of, it, it, it has its place in that Holy Trinity somewhere. Uh, and, and personally, to me, the the room the room to me again has a charm to it, and it's so low budget that it's almost not in the same ballpark as those other movies, because those are all major Hollywood productions to yeah. some extent. I think what's unfair now for the room is that it's transcended all that. You know, it, it had this big, you know, it had this big Hollywood movie made about it. It is shown all over the country all the time in late night cinema it has sort of created its own legacy a way that Battlefielders certainly has not like I would love to to watch a documentary about what the hell happened during Battlefield Earth but that's not going to happen the church ain't going to let that happen so let me ask you this Mr. Wizard when did you first get to watch The Room oh it was it was years after it came out and I started hearing the rumblings about how it was the worst movie ever. It began. It became sort of a culty internet thing. And I was like, oh, I should watch this. And Are you aware that Comedy Central used to air it? Like, I think it was on April Fool's Day. Oh, really? Yeah, Comedy Central used to run it, uh, you know, Adult Swim. They used to run it during Adult Swim. And, 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 then, and then actually they would run it. They would run a little a, a picture-in-picture version of it as well it's like a joke sometimes somehow comedy central or not comedy central i'm sorry cartoon network got a hold of it and would run it late at night that's how i got to see it i was watching it and i'm like okay this is satire right i was waiting for the punchline i thought this was like a saturday night live skit i was waiting for the real show to start and then just kept going and i was like i i'm in disbelief i can't believe this is on television like this is nuts It, it was so bizarre oh Hi, Mark. If you think about the the residuals that guy's made off of that movie, it, it was nuts. It was nuts. I mean, again, so 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 to your point, okay, I, I'll say this movie is up there with the that holy trinity of bad movies. You've got the room. You've got Planet Nine from Outer Space. You've got Troll Two, Battlefield Earth. Maybe this movie? I, I don't know. I mean, they're all pretty close. All right, so here's some things I learned about this film. There's really not much of note again. Relatively new movie. Mentioned this on the last pod. Devin Sawa plays an actor with an obsessed fan nearly two decades earlier. He played the obsessed fan in Stan and Eminem's music video. Uh, one of the celebrities listed on the Celebrity Finder app is Jack Torrance from The Shining. 
Uh, John Travolta wore a wig. We've discussed that. I couldn't believe that was in the IMDb. Like, interesting facts. Like, he wears a wig in every movie, except for From Paris with Love. John Travolta's been balding for like 15 years. And it was a good wig. And uh, speaking of that Tarantino callback, when he kidnaps Hunter Dunbar, he imitates the stuck in the middle with you sequence from Reservoir Dogs to scare him. I guess uh, back in the day there was a rumor that there was going to be a Vega Brothers film with Travolta and Michael Madsen, which obviously never happened. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we have the top five alternate titles for a Limp Biscuit album. We are back on Hops and Box Office Slops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. It is Travolta Month. And this is our penultimate film, The Fanatic. Next week, of course, we're doing The Punisher, which means we'll be back on top after a pretty down week. Our second segment, five alternate album titles for Limp Biscuit, will alternate. I will start. Number one, Crab Cake Fondue and the Electric Pickle Rick. Nice. Nice. Okay. Rosebud and the Prolapsed Rectum. That's good. Number two, Frog Leg Fricassee and the Lysol Flavored Lemonade. The Nickel Plated Bathtub. I like that. Number three, Catnip Chicken Nuggets and the Root Beer Soaked Roast Beef. The Insignificant Otter. <laughs> Number four, Castor Oil cornflakes and the Elvis Shaped Testicle Lump. Duval and the Gay Dollar Bill, y'all. Uh, and number five, this is my favorite one. Uh, the inept asshap and the shit bizgit script. Might have been inspired by this movie. <laughs> I like what you're putting down there, Mr. Wizard. And my number five is, we're not as good as the Deftones. <laughs> so, so obviously those were all inspired by uh, the chocolate starfish and the bong-flavored hot dog or whatever... Bong water flavored hot dog or whatever. It was the uh, the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water. <laughs> okay. It, I would still like to point out that three dollar bill y'all is not a bad album. It was okay, but the Deftones are better. If you want to listen to '90s new metal, the Deftones all the way. All right, so let's just do some quick recommendations. I generally try and make recommendations that correlate to the movie we watched. Uh, even though I didn't like this movie, and I think Fred Durst did a poor job writing it, I well recommend his first director, his directorial debut, which was The Education of Charlie Banks. It's a good movie. It stars Jason Ritter and Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, as Charlie Banks. As Charlie Banks. And it's sort of about a kid who rats out a troubled youth from the neighborhood when they're younger and his chickens come home to roost. Uh, obviously, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. I saw it a long time ago. Basically, I saw it right when it came out, I think it was 2007-ish. It's a good movie, though, and it shows that Durst actually has some uh, chops behind the camera. And I think it probably had a little bit higher budget than this did. It's a, a much better movie than this is, but he's only directed three movies, and in those 12 years and I think despite the issues I have with this one he does deserve another chance 
My other recommendation is the Peanut Butter Falcon. I've talked about it on the pod before. It's my favorite movie of the year. Uh, It's about a a boy with Down syndrome, and the actor does have Down syndrome, who escapes from the old folks' home that he's living at to pursue his dream of becoming a professional wrestler. Along the way, he meets this sort of troubled guy played by Shia LaBeouf, and their story of companionship and camaraderie. The movie just has so much heart. Uh, it's really a fantastic film. It is available to rent now. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is a wonderful movie. It's a really uplifting movie. I loved it. So, what about you? Well, let me ask you this, Mr. Wizard. Did you get to, a chance to catch that Shia LaBeouf flick? Uh, the the biopic he did on himself? Not yet. I do want to see that, though. I heard that's good, too. Yeah, I heard it's very good. He's had a tremendous year. He's an interesting guy, to say the least. Okay, but um, so my recommendation is a uh, documentary-type flick on uh, Amazon uh, Prime Video right now. Uh, It's entitled uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men. And it's an interesting look at the writer, uh, Chris Claremont and his influence on the X-Men franchise and how he guided it through some of the, the, the key storylines that people associate with those characters. And uh, I watched it last night and it was really interesting just to get some of the behind the scenes stuff. There's also some just cool general Marvel versus DC stuff because there's a lot of crossover in that world. And it was a really interesting like, you know, perspective into that world and how some of those pivotal X-Men storylines came to be and how some of the, the, the aspects, the characters that we know and love today uh, were developed and, and, and came into reality. So it's pretty cool. So check it out uh, on Amazon. For the record, this movie, The Fanatic, also free on Amazon Prime now. So I, that's true. I'm not going to twist your arm to watch it, but it is free, so it's not like you have to spend money as you did for Battlefield Earth and some of the other stuff we've covered on the pod so this episode not as funny as i would like it to be but that's mainly because the material didn't lend itself to comedy so much uh but just wait the punisher is going to be a lot of fun it's one of my favorite bad movies ever i freaking love the punisher that's next week well we're taking next week off of recording because it's thanksgiving week it will record that the following week then it's Terminator Dark Fate, which I was supposed to see a couple weeks ago and I didn't get to. And now i got to get my butt to the theater because it is dropping like flies for that movie. It ain't sticking. No. I, it's going to make under $75 million domestically, which is just like, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, I'm not shocked, but it's kind of surprising it tanked as hard as it did. I, I thought it would at least make $100 million domestically. Yeah. At least a hundred. You know, I didn't think it was going to do gangbusters, but I mean, it's doing worse than Alien Covenant, and that movie was a roasted turd on a sandwich. So okay, well, well, first off, those movies all sucked ass, and I thought this movie would have a good chance because you got Linda uh, Linda Hamilton coming back, yeah. you got Arnold coming back. I thought that would be enough to pull some some butts into the seats, but it ain't happening. So we'll close with uh, we'll paraphrase Moose. Sorry we didn't talk very long about this film, but we both had to poo. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. Take care. (laughs) It's a literal line from the movie. It is.